We're in John chapter 20. If you want to turn there with your Bibles, John chapter 20. As you're turning there, just ponder for a second what it's going to be like when we get to see God. We get to see God. Not just believe in Him, but to see Him. Scripture is laden with um, instances when God takes away the veil for a second and gives us a glimpse of His glory and what it's like to see God. Um, that's even in the Beatitudes. They will see God. In, uh, in the garden, Adam, what? Walks with God. In Exodus chapter 33, what does Moses say? Show me your glory. And what does God say? Well, can't do that just yet. It'll kill you. <laughs> I knew it was Willie. I knew it was. <laughs> Spirit is moving this morning. I love it. Um, Siri's keeping me honest this morning. That's good. Um, I don't even know where I was talking about. Um, oh, uh, Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus does what? He peels back his humanity for just a second. And we're actually going to see a little bit of that this morning about how Peter still remembered it. He was writing about it in 2 Peter. The church had been going along for decades, and Peter's still talking about it. Hey, remember that time we were up on that mountain and saw that? There is something that we should all, we should all aspire to that. In fact, I would say that the Christian life is lived with the goal of one day seeing God face to face. We live by faith today. We walk by sight tomorrow. And that should be a little bit exciting. Um, the reason that's important is because after sin, in Genesis 3, Adam is no longer walking with God. And after Genesis 3, no one walks with God until Jesus. In fact, uh, in Exodus, that, in chapter 33... Moses has been walking along long enough. He's like, can I see you now? Can, we, can I just see you? And God says, it will kill you. But I'm going I'm to pass so you can see a little bit of my glory. That's what we're awaiting one day. And that's how we have to understand faith. Faith is what we have in this life. With this, we believe in this because we can't see Jesus we can't see God. We can see Him in nature. We can see Him in the sun. We can see Him in a sunset. We can see Him in the moon. We can see Him in mountains. We can see Him in rivers. But it's not Him. It's, Romans 1 would say it's His invisible attributes. So everything on earth is designed as a gigantic amphitheater so that we can see the artistry of God and we can finally go, who made that? God wants us to look at that and for it to take us here. Because this word we have this morning can tell us immeasurably more about the Creator than an oak tree. And so uh, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word, as you're standing, I'm going to define the gospel very quickly. The gospel is Jesus died so that I might be forgiven and He was raised that I would believe. And um, 
Without any further ado, let's read John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Wow. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he came to, and he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we long to see you. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Father, we pray with an extra measure of the Spirit this morning that we might be filled, that our eyes might be opened to receive divine revelation so that we can understand why Thomas doubted and what it takes to get unbelievers to believe in the crucified and risen Jesus. Father, show us the glory of Jesus this morning. Fill our eyes with His glory. And all these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen. You can be seated. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning. It's pretty clear. The remedy for our doubts is coming back to the crucified and risen Jesus. The remedy for our doubts is coming back to the crucified and risen Jesus. Jesus was listening, wasn't he? It wasn't like he got there and be like, hey, uh, hey, I didn't want to tell you Jesus, but you should have been there to hear what Thomas was saying. What did he say? Well, he said he didn't believe you. Are, you. are you for real? Thomas, did you say that? Hey, get over here. Let me feel this. No, no, no. He walked up in there. He's like, where's Thomas at? Thomas, right here. Right here. And he actually repeats what Thomas said in that threefold manner. Unless I see, unless I touch, unless I reach, he comes back and Jesus says, see, touch, reach. Now, here it is. I'm real. I love it. Before we begin this morning, I think it's important to make a very critical distinction between two kinds of unbelief. We actually had this conversation in our small group the other day, I think. Um, there is unbelief um, that is total unbelief. Like when, uh, for instance, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in John chapter 10, He says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in the gospel. They're not saved. That's in the sense when we call people unbelievers. I think that's the, uh, the sense a lot of times when we talk about unbelief, that's what we mean. But there is another kind of unbelief, and that's the unbelief within the context of faith. And that's how we're to interpret Jesus' words here to Thomas in verse 27. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus isn't commanding Thomas to believe in God and be saved. He's calling Thomas back from his doubt. What we're seeing here in John chapter 20 is similar to the man's prayer in Mark 9, 24, when he asks Jesus, I believe, help my what? Unbelief. 
That might sound like a contradictory statement. I believe, but help my unbelief. But it's not a contradictory statement. There is a kind of doubting in our flesh that exists even when we believe in the gospel, and it is sin. Let me say that another way. It is very possible, in fact, it happens to every single person who believes in the gospel. It is possible to have a faith in Jesus and be saved, and yet succumb to sinful unbelief. That's a critical distinction that every single Christian has to make. And I'll be addressing doubt this morning in the way that Jesus addresses it in verse 27. Doubt is unbelief. Here's a quote that I really like to help us explain it. Doubt is not the complete absence of faith. It's faith laden with weights of unbelief which threatens to sink us. So doubt can, in many instances, lead to unbelief where someone walks away from the faith. But doubt can also be a a, a springboard to strengthen our faith. And I would dare say that's what happens here with Thomas in John chapter 20. When we think of sin, we think of idolatry, we think of transgression, we think of disobedience. But we don't often think of unbelief. But the Bible says that unbelief is at the very core of what sin is. Romans 14, 23. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if I were to come up to one of you all right now, it would be an awkward question, but say I would ask you, did you sin today? I know a lot of you all wouldn't answer right away. And I wouldn't. I don't think you should. It's a weird question. I wouldn't ever ask you that, I don't think. But it's not sufficient for you to simply go, well, was I a jerk to anybody today? Did I lie? Did I steal? Hold on. No, I don't think I sinned. No, I think it's it's not sufficient to think like that. I think we we should ask ourselves this. Did I at any time today not love Jesus with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? And did I do anything today without trusting fully in the sovereign grace of God shown to me in Jesus Christ? I think that would probably be the best measuring stick for whether we sinned today. Some of y'all are going, whoa. That's, That's what sin is? Yeah, it is. That which does not proceed from faith is sin. Anything we do, that's the measuring stick because the righteous shall live by faith. Anything we do without seeking to do it for God to our uttermost is sin. That's why Christians don't go bragging about when the last time we sinned. Because we know what sin really is and we know what righteous is. We would rather brag about the merits of Christ than our own. I think, first of all, let's get this straight. Thomas has two of the most unfortunate nicknames in the Bible. Doubting Thomas and the twin. I'm sorry. James and John got sons of thunder, which is really a neat. And they're like, who are you? Oh, that's, the, that's the, the twin. Oh, cool. And we don't really talk about the other one, but that's anyway. Um, I think that's a little... Doubting Thomas is kind of tame. Because it's like, uh, if you were to ask me, hey, is UGA going to win the football championship this year? I'd go, eh, I doubt it. Georgia Tech going to win the ACC? Probably not. I doubt it. Kentucky going to win the title? I doubt it. See, we use the word doubt sometimes, and it doesn't have that connotation of sin. But make no mistake, Thomas walks in the door, and he is in sin. 
Thomas is in unbelief. When I come in and I walk in with a bad attitude to my wife, before I say anything, before I do anything, I am already in sin because of the posture of my own heart. Because I'm in sin, I'm not loving her in my heart. I'm already sinning. And Thomas, when he is in there, he's already in sin. That's his problem. Faith is a delicate thing. Jesus says that it's, it's only the size of a mustard seed. Therefore, our salvation is not dependent on necessarily the strength of our faith. Our salvation is dependent on the strength of that which our faith is in. Here's another way to put it. Faith is not the rock. Faith is how we hold on to the rock. John Piper said this, Faith is something that must be fought for if it is to thrive and to survive. This is how we take hold onto eternal life, by fighting to maintain faith with its joy in Christ. I think that's another way we can look at what's happening in John chapter 20. Thomas is fighting for joy. He thinks Jesus is dead. He thinks the Son of God is gone. He thinks the Savior and the Messiah is done. He has no joy. He is fighting for faith. And listen to his unbelief in verses 24 and 25. Did I put those? Yeah. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side... I will never believe. Those are pretty specific demands. Raise your hand if anybody has ever told you something and you'll be like, I believe it when I see it. Raise your hand. So don't, don't judge Thomas too much. We've all been Thomases. And then Jesus busts up in there in verse 26 and here's what happens. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Right there. Although the doors were locked. And he doesn't even explain it. He just says Jesus came in. And it kind of makes me think that John didn't really care to explain it. In fact, it leads me to think that maybe John could not have even explained it. The doors were simply locked and Jesus just simply came in. So I think it's important to understand here that Jesus is passing through walls, but Jesus is not Casper. Jesus is not a ghost. He has a spiritual body. And that's about all we can say about what the resurrection body looks like. But here's the thing. This body can both pass through walls and yet Thomas can feel his scars on his hands. So he's not a ghost, but his flesh is not like ours. And that's about all we can say. The reason I quoted 1 Corinthians 15 is this. Jesus' body is the first of its kind, and resurrection bodies at the resurrection will be like Jesus's. Paul says that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. So let's read Thomas's reaction in verse 27 and 28. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe, Thomas. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. So Jesus busts up in there and he's like, hey, you believe me now? I'm alive. I don't know what Jesus was doing for those eight days, but he wasn't around. From the context of this this chapter here, 
If you remember last week, eight days prior, Jesus saw the, the disciples and he breathed his spirit on the disciples minus Thomas. So I, I believe it's, it's, it's safe to infer here that Thomas did not receive the Holy Spirit. Because if he had, he would have believed that Jesus was risen. The, Holy, the work of the Holy Spirit is to seal our faith. So he's able to see Jesus for himself. He's able to touch his scars. He's able to touch his side. And now he believes. He confesses Jesus as Lord. And now I think it's safe to say that once he's confessing Jesus, I think it's safe to say the Holy Spirit is there. Because 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So ultimately, the, the object of our faith is the resurrected Jesus. The power of our faith is the resurrecting Holy Spirit. Ultimately, the only remedy for unbelief is the truth. And that's the Spirit's job, to direct us to the truth. When we have doubts, God's Word and God's Gospel are the only things that can restore us. And I'm going I'm to just admit to you all right now, I'm a pastor and I have doubts. Sometimes. I have doubts about the Bible occasionally. I face doubts about evil and suffering. I have doubts about... I'll just be very transparent with you. Sometimes I have doubts about our little church in a little triple-wide modular. Doubts creep in. And if, you, if they don't creep into you, you're either not defining it right or you are just the best, holiest Christian I've ever met. I face doubts of all kinds, and if, and if you're like me, they usually come in bursts and seasons. And Satan knows when I'm weak. And in those moments when I'm weak, when I have a doubt, like I was talking to a, a friend of mine the other day, not a close friend, um, who doesn't believe that uh, Moses wrote the first uh, five books of the Bible. And he had all this really well laid out explanation for how we got Genesis. And he had some really deep, piercing, probing questions that I could not answer. Um, and I walked away from that conversation just kind of going like this. Hmm. And me being the theology nerd, of course, I went and studied up on it, you know, things I probably learned in seminary that I've already forgotten. And you're going to have doubt being a Christian. And in those moments when I doubt, in the context of faith, I'll look up at the trees and I'll look up at the stars and I'll look up at the, the you know, just space. I love looking at the stars at night, by the way. And I'll go, God is powerful. And in other moments when I doubt, I'll think back to all that God has done for me already in my life. And I'll go, God is faithful. But we need to understand that looking up at a sunset and thinking back to how much God has done for you, those things do not defeat unbelief. They're good in the moment, and God wants us to remember them. But those things do not overcome doubt. 
We can look outside at the stars and we can think of God's provisions. Those are good things. But time after time in the Word of God, God is reminding us that what truly strengthens our faith and what truly squashes doubt is the Word of God and us reading it. Like Thomas, we must come face to face with Jesus in the Bible or we will flounder in unbelief. Thomas didn't overcome his doubt by watching a sunset. Thomas didn't overcome his doubt by thinking about how God gave him a really good job. Thomas overcame his doubt by encountering the crucified and risen Jesus, and the same is expected of us. I want us to read 2 Peter real quick. I was telling you all about the Mount of Transfiguration. This is, a, this is just... These three verses are just unbelievable for me. He's talking about whenever they saw Jesus in His glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is what Peter says. For when He, God, or Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We today, in the Bible, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. In other words, the Bible... Go to the next slide real quick. This is how I would say it. The Bible, God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word, is an even surer voice from God than if he had spoken audibly from heaven. That's what, second, that's what Peter just said. The Bible, God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word, is an even surer voice from God than if he had spoken audibly from heaven. I know a lot of people who've told me that they have heard an audible voice from God. I have heard a lot of people tell me that they have had visions of God. But do they read their Bible? (laughs) Because if they don't, I don't care about the vision. I don't care that a six-year-old boy went to heaven and came back. I don't care what he had to say. God gave us enough. I don't need to go on a mountain. I don't need to see a vision. I have what Peter says is more fully confirmed voice of God than if I had climbed on Stone Mountain and seen God myself. Do we treat the Word of God like that? Because God has given us something. Peter went up on the mount, saw his glory, and came back down. And 20 years later, he's saying, but I got it even more here. When church, so often we go, man, this is really good. But can I, I'd like to really see God. or I want to have a vision. God says, no, 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 no. You, you've already got enough here. Get over your visions and your ghosts and your voices. This is the prophetic word. It was enough for Peter, is it enough for us? And if you had a vision, they're nothing against visions. I mean, I test those visions. I know a lot of people, including Muhammad, who had a vision. We're not going to get into visions and signs. (laughs) 
The Bible is the definitive, ultimate, authoritative voice from heaven. And we should treat it like that. On the road to Emmaus, do y'all remember on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24? There's two guys walking on a road. Jesus is like, what's up? They're like, hey, did you hear about that guy who resurrected? And he's like, what, what happened? They're like, oh, there's a guy named Jesus, he resurrected. And he's like, hey, did, did, you, did you read your Bible? And what's he do? Jesus does what? He pulls out the scriptures and points to everything concerning himself. Jesus was using the Bible to support his authority. God's word is how God cures unbelief. Not by human reason, not by past experiences. Those things are to support our faith. But the gospel is what holds up our faith. I am constantly pressing the word on the hearts and souls of my little children. My house won't guard them from unbelief. A good education won't guard them from unbelief. A good scholarship at a good college will not guard them from unbelief. Those are good things and you better hope that I pray for them. But the gospel, the resurrection, the word are what guard their precious little souls from unbelief. And I would go so far as to say parents who never read God's word to their children are spiritually negligent. And we as the church should come alongside of them instead of saying, you guys are sinners. We should go, hey, hey, hey. Here's the word. Here's the voice from heaven. God's given that that to us for our benefit. Apart from the Spirit of God, in case I'm equivocating at all, just so you can hear it from me, apart from the Spirit of God, I am a doubting Thomas. Apart from the Spirit of God, Abby, the pastor at Haynes Creek, is a doubting Thomas. Apart from the gospel, Kelly, my wife, is a doubting Thomas. Apart from God's word, everyone in here is a doubting Thomas. Faith, if I had to define faith, here's how I would define it. Faith is a daily trusting in the grace of God in Christ. Not just to feed you or to take care of your bodily needs, but to save you and give you a living hope. So every time I read the Bible, every single time I pick it up, right now I'm in Colossians. Jesus goes, touch, right here. Here I am, put it right here. I have as much in this word as John, as as as, (laughs) doubting Thomas. It's such an unfortunate name. I have as much in the Bible today as Thomas had to look at in that room. And I don't need anything more. And because I have God's word, I believe Jesus died and was raised, and I have never seen Jesus bodily, and I don't have to, to know that he reigns and sits at the right hand of the Father. This is what Jesus says in verse 29. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I don't need a vision. I don't need a voice uh, from heaven. I just need God's word. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this. Personally, I've always struggled with Adam in the garden. How could you walk with God? How could you see him and, and rebel? I've always struggled with Israel in the Old Testament. How could you see the Red Sea just... And then make a golden calf. I've always struggled with the disciples. They walked with Jesus and then they don't believe. Thomas, you saw things that no one else saw. How in the world can you say these things? But here, think about this. 
How can we live like we do and have something even surer than what Peter had? We cast our judgment upon the unbelief of the Old Testament when God says we have no room to talk when we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed now than anyone has ever had. And we know two things now. Faith is not about seeing, but about believing in what Jesus has done and will do. And unbelief is why the Holy Spirit finally came to direct our eyes to the Savior who gives us a full picture of who God is. I want to end today with reading Jeremiah chapter 32. I've read this before, but it's because I love it. This is how Jesus describes the new covenant, or God describes the new covenant. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. Here you go. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in the land, in his land in faithfulness with all my heart in all my soul. We are a people prone to wander. We are a people prone to disbelieve and doubt and fall away. And God says, the only way I'm going to get these people to follow me, the only way I'm going to get these people to obey me and not to wander and not to disbelieve is if I put myself in them. And so we see the fulfillment of Jeremiah 32 when Jesus breathes His, disciple, his Spirit on His disciples. The only reason we have the Holy Spirit is because apart from it, we are all Thomas. There's a question that atheists and liberals often pose, and I want to pose it to you. And if you haven't been posed this question, you will. It's a philosophy question, and it is oftentimes the most critical question a Christian can answer. And it's a question that unbelievers don't believe we can answer. And the question is this. How do you know the Bible is true? How do you know? And it goes, and you'll say, because it's God's word. And they'll say, well, how do you know that? And you'll say, because the Bible says. And they'll say, how do you know the Bible's true? And this goes in a circle over and over and over and over. And atheists will often say that it's circular reasoning. That we can't prove that it's from God. And the only hope that we have is a lie. And I think the best way to answer that question is this. God sent the Father, God the Father sent his Son, the Word made flesh. God's Son died and was raised for our justification. God's Spirit formed His church. God's Spirit authored the Scriptures. And God's Spirit gave His doubting church the faith to believe in God's Word. Because, and so when they ask me, Abby, how do you know the Bible's true? Because God has made it very plain that the gospel did not come from man. It came from God.
And while the world is busy saying, where's your evidence? Where's the proof? Where's the DNA? They'll go, hey, if you could prove that Jesus raised from the dead, I'll believe. Have you ever heard someone say that? And meanwhile, while the, while the world will sit in judgment and mock, Jesus still says, blessed are those who have not seen, yet who have believed. This morning, if you have doubt in your life, if you are going through a part of your life where you're finding it really hard to trust Jesus, no amount of DNA evidence or proof will ever be enough to satisfy your faith. God wants the support and the foundation and the bedrock of our faith to be the gospel itself. And so this morning, if when you say faith, if all you've really ever meant is that you believe in God, if all you've really ever meant is, I believe that God's going to take care of me, but you've never really meant, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and was raised, I invite you to come back to the gospel, the only thing that can support our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we believe this word came from you because you have made it abundantly plain that the gospel is your gospel. We are so prone to wander in doubt. And like Thomas, we are making our demands. I want to see this. I want to see God perform this. I want to see God come down from the clouds and help me. I want a miracle. Father, your son says, blessed are those who do not see yet believe. Father, I pray that the gospel would be sufficient for all of us. And by having your word, we would know you and your son just as much as if he were standing in front of us now. Father, let your gospel be sufficient and let your spirit give us faith. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen.